0: Stay there in First Peter if you're already over there, because that's going to be the foundation of the lesson, and I want to explore just a couple things in there to set the stage. But uh, before we get too far, if I can get this thing working here, push the right buttons, it works most of the time. Did anybody come face-to-face with that this week? Every stoplight, of course. Did anybody accept that challenge? How many times did you all accept the challenge? 100% of the time, okay. Oh. <laughs> all right, well, we talked last week about, about that. We talked last week about this, this identity, this purpose, who we are. Um, today, we're going to be talking about identity, vocation, and career in who we are and, and our new identity and beginning in First Peter two, there's a couple of things in here I think that that speak to the purpose of our life, and I want to build off of that by starting here and then going all the way back to creation again. So Second Peter, excuse me, First Peter chapter two. The first purpose I see in those first ten verses, because if, if and maybe I should just give you guys this as some homework. You all, you want some homework this week? I'll give it to you right now, and then you can kind of. Think about it during the lesson and go on without it, or go on, not without it, go on with it after the end of the lesson. Second, or first Peter, man, First Peter chapter 2. The first 10 verses, there is a purpose to us. It kind of speaks to who you are in Christ. You notice in verse 5, he says, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for the holy priesthood. That indicates to me that there is a uh, ongoing continual work. It also indicates to me that there's a purpose here. I, I am to be this, you are to be that. It also indicates to me that there's a partner I have in this in this building up, and it's not you it's not Peter it's someone bigger than that. There's a partner here, mainly God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, here that is going to work with us and build us up into this spiritual house this this holy priesthood. And why are, we being, why are we being built that way? Well, in the verse, that verse, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So our purpose here, to glorify God, that's the number one purpose for everything God did, was to glorify Him. We bring glory to Him. How do we do that? Part of that is the spiritual sacrifice is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And he goes on to, to, to give us more purpose there in verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? What does your text say? Okay. What, somebody else's, what, do, what does it say after people for God's own possession? That you may declare the praises of him, that you may proclaim the excellence, the excellencies of him. Here's another purpose. I was afraid that everybody's verse stopped after that because nobody said anything. If you guys don't have the rest of that verse, you should probably get a different Bible because there is parts after people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are, this is our purpose. This is this new identity, this new vocation, this new career as a Christian comes with this purpose that we're being built up, That we're offering spiritual sacrifices, that we are proclaiming the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because we weren't once a people, right? But now we are the people of God. Verse 10. First you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. So in the first 10 verses, Peter says, these are some purposes for your new life in Christ. This is your new identity, so this is who you are. This is your vocation. This is your career as a Christian. When you look at verses 11 through 20, Peter says... This is how you do what I just told you you are. So how do we do that? Well, he says, abstain from fleshly lust. Pretend you're aliens and strangers here. You you don't belong here. This is not your home. Verse 11 starts off with, this is how you fulfill your purpose that he just said you had in Christ Jesus. When you get down to the verses 21 through 25, what is he saying? He's saying that you may leave an example here. Twenty-one. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. And then he describes Jesus Christ himself, this man who had no deceit in his mouth, who had been reviled but didn't revile in return. That he bore our sins in his body. Verse twenty-five. For you are continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to, your, to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. So you go from, this is your purpose, this is how you fulfill that purpose, this is how you, you work in that purpose, and then it says in the last part of that chapter, this example that he left for you, you follow in that footsteps, or in his footsteps, and you also leave an example of these things, because that's your purpose. You've been called to glorify God, this is your purpose. So that's, that's the foundation of the lesson, but I want to go back again to the creation. So go over to Genesis chapter 2. Because, again, I think I see some more purpose here from First Peter chapter 2 all the way back to the creation. We've got some purpose. We all are familiar with chapter 1, verse 26. God says, let us make man in our image, right? Let us make man in our image. And he did that. And then he plants this garden he plants all of these things. He creates this garden, forms all these, these animals, and then forms Adam and Eve out of the dust of the ground there in verse 7. The Lord God formed a man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed out of the garden, or out of the grounds. I mean, the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So, he makes all of these things. He creates man, woman, in his image. I think one of the things I see here in chapter 2 is mirroring God. He's created us to mirror him. He hasn't created us to be our own creatures. He's created us to mirror him. When when Paul and Peter and all the the writers in the New Testament talk about mirroring Christ or looking like Christ, we're, we're simply reflecting our maker. It's not our glory or our beauty that we reflect it. It's his beauty. It's Christ's beauty. It's him and us that, that people are supposed to see. So chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Genesis, I think God is saying, I'm going to create you special creatures, but you're going to mirror me. You're going to look like me. You should look like me. You should be looking exactly like me. He puts us in the garden to glorify him. But instead of glorifying him, man does the opposite. And instead of reflecting God's image, so many times we make our own images. How many times do you read in the Bible about them making images out of wood or whatever and worshiping the thing that they've created? Even Romans chapter 1, right? They worship the created rather than the creator. They exchange the the truth for the lie that there's anything bigger than God out there. That's the lie there in Romans chapter 1, that you can replace God with anything. You can't. So many times we don't reflect the right thing. We've got maybe this kind of view of, of a reflection in the mirror. You're looking at that thing, and that's you. But man, that thing looks so funny. And you make fun of it. And because I'm not really paying attention to who's in the mirror. And I, I think that's, that's what you get it when you get to Romans, and he's talking about the law, and he's talking about how they, they, they changed all these things, and, and the mindset of this law is going to save me. This law is going to take care of everything. It's it's going to do that. That law was supposed to be a mirror to show you where you're stacking up. It wasn't to be worshipped. It was simply to reflect where I need to change. Instead of worshipping God, they start to worship the law and make that the mirror that they're looking at. But God says, I'm going to give you dominion here in chapter 2, chapter 3. I'm going to give you dominion over all the earth. You're not going to take care of the animals. You're not going to take care of anything else. I'm going to take care of that. But you have dominion over all of this. Now look at chapter 2 again. When you get down to verse 15. Look at chapter 2, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The Lord God commanded man, saying, "From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die." Okay, so here's the here's the beginning of the end for man here. But and I think I've, I've brought this up before, and I always go back to it. We've talked about it when we talk about having something to do. From the beginning, man has been created to do something. And here in chapter 2, verse 15, God says, cultivate this garden, keep it. And I'm sure I have already given you these words, but I I find them very fascinating, so we're going to go over them again because I'm standing up here and you're not. Cultivate it and keep it. Those are very important words. Those are not just, you're a high-class gardener here. Those words in, in 2.15 are very important and they reflect the priesthood nature that we're going to see in 1 Peter chapter 2. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're not just high-class gardeners, and neither were Adam and Eve. He says, I want you to cultivate it, and I want you to keep it. Now, if you look over in the, the book of Numbers, go over to the book of Numbers and look at chapter 3. Here's why I think this is not just high-class gardeners. This is something that God is 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 telling them from the very beginning. And, and when we look back, you know, through his word, we can see it from the very beginning. Because of the way he's He's organized his word and the way he's organized what he's wanted to, to show us and teach us from creation on, verses 7 and 8 of chapter 3, my, my version says, "...and they shall perform the duties for him and for the whole congregation before the tenth of meeting to do the service of the tabernacle they shall also keep all the furnishings to do the tenth of the meeting of the tenth of the meeting along with the duties of the sons of Israel to do service of the tabernacle the phrase in in chapter or in verse 7 to do the service that is the same phrases of cultivating and keeping in 215 it is it is a I think God is is using this language on purpose to say, You're working with me, even back in the garden. You're working with me. You are you are my priests here. You are taking care of what I'm giving you. You're cultivating, you're keeping it. And in Numbers 3, you are cultivating and keeping these things for my people. Now if you go over to First Chronicles, there's a similar First Chronicles 23, there's another similar word describing these duties. 23, verse 32, at the very end there, he's talking about burnt offerings there in 31, the showbread 29, they're going to stand every morning in verse 30, thank and praise the Lord, likewise at evening, in verse 32 he says, thus they are to keep charge, there's that same phrase, keep charge, cultivate keep, keep charge of the tent of meeting in charge of the holy place, in charge of the sons of Aaron, their relatives, for the service of the house of the Lord. To work and to serve here with God. I think from Genesis chapter 2, even though they're, he's saying, you know, you could gloss right over cultivate and keep as you're just gardeners. Now, I think he's picturing something bigger than just people who are gardening. He's saying, you're working with me. This is my garden. I've created it for you, but you're working with me here. You are my priests in this garden. You are the priests here in First Chronicles and Numbers. And when you get to First Peter chapter two, you are these priests. You are cultivating and keeping the same thing, essentially. We're cultivating and keeping the same thing. First Peter two, nine. In fact, go over to First Corinthians chapter three. If we're talking about partnering with God, first Corinthians chapter three, verses eight and nine. We already know what 1 Peter 2 is saying, you're royal priests, holy nation, people for God's own possession. As Paul is is writing the Corinthian church here and talking about, you know, being spiritual men and, and not 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 uh, he's he's giving them milk there because they're they're fleshly Christians at this point. They're struggling. And in verse 5, he says, "What then is Apollos? What is Paul servants through the one the one whom you believed?" Even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one, I planted Apollos' water, but God was causing the growth. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. And here's verse 9. For we are what? God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. You are his cultivated. That, that's that's you're, you're being cultivated here. That's that word there when it says God's field, you are cultivated. I think it's another image of the same thing from Genesis 2 to Numbers to 1 Chronicles, 1 Corinthians to 1 Peter. They're all saying similar things, but you're mirroring God here. You are cultivating and keeping. You are doing priestly duties because you are called out. You are separated from the world. You are a different person. You have a new identity. You're not just a gardener. You are God's priest you are working with him in this field, working with him, completely with him, which brings to my mind the idea of the world today, right? Working nine to five, right? Everybody's got to work. And it's nine to five, everybody's working for the weekend. I remember that song growing up. And there's nothing wrong with the weekends. I like the weekends. I like Saturdays. Sundays are busy, but I like Saturdays. They're, they're fun usually. Nothing wrong with the weekend, but the idea of just all I am doing here is working for the weekend. All I'm doing is working to just blow off steam. All I'm working to do is, is to just have fun. is a lifestyle that is the opposite effect of cultivating and keeping the garden. Have you been in that 9 to 5 mindset before? I'm just working for the weekend. I'm just working until I can go out and have fun. I'm sure we've all, all been there at some point. Just working for, to have fun. But that's not us. Or it shouldn't be us as Christians. It might be easy to fall back into every once in a while, but it's not us. And, and when we talk about identity, I'm always interested when, when you ask somebody, Hi, how are you? What do you do? And, and a lot of times we, we define ourselves by what we do. I'm a preacher. Okay, well, that defines me, right? That's, that's who I am. You're a doctor. That defines you. I'm a doctor. I'm a janitor. I'm a, I'm a teacher. I'm a whatever. That, that, de- that defines who we are. Well, I want to I show you here, preachers here. Number one, what the world thinks I do is this. What my parents think I do is this. What my friends think I do is that. Sometimes they're not wrong. What my congregation thinks I do. You ready for this one? <laughs> now, you don't you don't actually think that, I know. What I think I do and then what I actually do is put people to sleep. A lot of times in this world we do define ourselves by who we are or by what we do. That's who I am. I'm a teacher. I'm a whatever. That's who I am. And if you take that away from me, I don't know who I am anymore. I've struggled with that. But my identity, my vocation, my career should not be, I'm just a preacher, or I'm a teacher, or I'm whatever. I'm a guy that cooks fries. doesn't matter. The identity, the vocation, the career of a Christian is completely different. The identity is the image of God. We see that from the garden. He's he's saying, I'm going to create you in my image. So we are to reflect the image of God. The vocation is God calling us and saying, I want you to cultivate and I want you to keep. I want you to work with me here. From Genesis to Numbers to 1 Chronicles to 1 Corinthians to 1 Peter. I want you to work with me in this garden. And when I thought about that this week, there's a book that I've read some excerpts of. I don't have the book yet, but part of it really, really spoke to me in terms of identity and vocation. Because a lot of times when people ask us, where do you go to church? We grab our identity by saying... I'm from the Church of Christ, or Orchard Street, whatever. I, but a lot of times, I just grab my identity by Church of Christ. And that's kind of where it stops. But even that, I think, is, a, is not a good mindset. I'm just Church of Christ? No. There's, there's more than just Church of Christ. In fact, when I was reading this book, this guy is he's talking about some things that, that the religious world gets wrong one of the things he really stresses is the way we teach and the way we learn. And he broke them down into two structures, and he called them Hebraic and Greek, and two have philosophies, opposing philosophies of learning. And I want you to, to look at these really quickly, because I think it speaks a lot to some of our our history and some of my history in, in growing up, if you can actually read that. Can you read that? Can everybody read that? Because I, I think I can... Last time I did it, it worked. must be just working on my computer and not on the display. Let me see if I can hopefully I don't disconnect. Darn. I counted on that happening. Okay, well, I hope you can read it. If you can't, I've got a copy of it up here and I'll, I'll kind of oops I'll kind of go over it for you. Um, these two competing philosophies in learning. No, I done messed it up. Okay, there we go. Two competing philosophies here, the Hebraic and the Greek. The Hebraic philosophy, he says, it appeals to the heart, and the Greek appeals to the intellect, to the mind. And when I was reading that, I was thinking, I, I can see the, the breakdown here, and I can even see me learning and growing in here. When he talks about the first process oriented on both sides, on the Hebraic, the heart side, it says it's, it's emphasizing direct participation, Emphasizes age, wisdom, role modeling, mentoring, discipleship, leadership by personal example, character of leaders, personal relationships, essential. The other side of that is heavy program emphasis. Emphasizes education, relies on speaking skills, oratory program, materials, information conveyance. Leaders' personal life is less essential. The personal relationships are optional. When you get down to the second part of that, the biblical application you see more of a doer of the word versus a belief without cost to self. You've got Bible data that must be taught. You've got reality that must be confirmed on the other side. You develop Christ-likeness when you're appealing to the heart, and you emphasize distinct denominations and do's and don'ts on the intellect side. Sounds a lot like some of what I grew up in and what I grew up thinking. Ministry activity there, small intimate groups, large and personal groups, leader as a facilitator, leader as a directed and controlled person, Organizational roles are important, acquisition of knowledge on the Greek side, cooperative participatory planning, frequent scheduled and unscheduled meetings. It just seems to to kind of flow with appealing to the heart here. And the fruit of that was really interesting. The fruit for the appealing to the heart is love, acceptance, forgiveness, transparency, encouraged, active participation. How you serve is vital. Each believer trained to serve produces mature believers. The intellect... Mutual toleration, transparency is discouraged, passivity, and lethargy, lethargy. What you know is vital, trained professionals are utilized, and produces spectators. I see a lot of that in in well in early me, hopefully not so much in my, me now. I see me as, as trying to appeal to the heart more than just appeal to the intellect, but sometimes that appeal to the intellect had an appeal to me, It's easy to check the boxes. It's easier to do that for me. It's harder to figure out the heart. It's harder to go this way. And when I'm thinking about identity and who I am in Christ, when people ask me, what church do you go to? And I think the old standard lines, I'm not going to just define myself by, I I go to the church of Christ. Yes, I do. But I'm not this check the box guy. I'm supposed to be reflecting Christ, not... Just this idea of, this is who I am because this is where I go. I need to reflect Christ. I need to have that that heart appeal rather than just an intellect appeal. And that's what that, that, that guy is trying to get across, is that we are missing the heart of the matter. And we're appealing to the intellect. I define myself by something I'm not really at all. And I miss the very heart of the matter. And that's what man missed in the garden. I try to define myself the way I want to define myself. I want to define myself by what I think is right for me and not appeal to the heart of the matter and listen to you and say, okay, I, I agree with you that this is wrong. My identity is be- the mirroring of God, the mirroring of Christ. My vocation is called to partner with him and to work with him. My career is not for the weekend. It's for the rest of your life. It's a lifestyle. It's a It's a career. It's something that we've signed up to do for the rest of our life. We're more than just a job title here. And a, long, a lot of times we think that uh, as long as we're dressed up nice on Sundays, we show up with our right tie and, and right shoes on, that we'll be okay. We know that's not true. You know that's not true. I want to give you some proof texts here really quickly. <laughs> I'm going to pull a couple verses, just one verse or two, and I want, I want to see as a lifestyle, what that means for me and you. Go over to Colossians 3.17. I say proof text just because a lot of times bounce around from chapter to chapter, book to book, and just pull one verse and say, this supports my position. But what I want to give you is, is a verse that, that will have broad application for our lives. And I'm going to encourage you to, to think about that verse in a broad way. What is, what is that verse saying to me about what God is asking me to mirror, what God is asking me to partner in, and what God is asking me to give my life to? Colossians 3.17, after he's already said, I want you to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, thing, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all. In the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. What overarching, what, what I mean, that, that, that is a big subject there, isn't it? Because he uses some big words, whatever you do, and all. So when we talk about our, voc- our identity, our vocation, and our career, and in, in when we look at just Colossians 3 and Paul encouraging them to do everything in the name of the Lord, whatever we do in word or deed, He's saying your identity, your vocation, your career, all of this goes back to God. It goes back to Jesus. It needs to look like him. In my job, I do the best I can. Why? Because I want to get a promotion or I want to look good? No, because I am who I am. I'm reflecting the image of God. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be truthful. I'm going to be all these things because I'm reflecting Christ's image. I have Christ in me. I'm after his heart, he's after mine, and so my image is going to reflect that in whatever I do, in all I do, I'm going to reflect him. Here's another one for you, 1 Corinthians 13. Right off the bat, you probably know what chapter that is, right? Everybody knows 1 Corinthians 13, everybody that gets married knows 1 Corinthians 13, even though it's not a necessarily a marriage passage. Yes, it is a life passage, you're right. Yeah, it's, it's the love chapter. He's talking about love. He's talking about love versus spiritual gifts. He's talking about the problem that's happening in this congregation, really, and the fact that you think you're better than me, or I think I'm better than you. Or, but no, the, the best gift here is love. The best gift is, is to love because love is going to win out in the end. Even past faith and hope, love is going to be there. We won't have to have faith at some point. We won't have to have hope at some point because it will be realized. And yet we will still have love. And just one verse out of there, verse 4, love is patient, love is kind. It's not jealous, love does not brag, it's not arrogant. And you, could, you could pick almost any verse in there. Verse 5, doesn't act unbecomingly, doesn't seek its own, it's not provoked, doesn't take into account a wrong doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. There's a whole bunch of things in here that have a broad application for our identity, our vocation, and our career. And God is saying, I want you to cultivate and I want you to keep this attitude, this in the world. When you look like me, you look like a person who is not acting unbecomingly, doesn't seek his own, is not provoked, all these things. And I know you and I probably both have have stumbled at, at some point in some of these things here in 1 Corinthians 13. I've acted unbecomingly. I'm sure you have too. I've sought my own. You probably have too. But that's part of the journey and part of the working and the partnering with God and him building us up into that spiritual house as priests. That building up is him and us working together so that we look more and more like Christ each day. One more for you and one more single verse here. Galatians chapter 6, Excuse me, verse 10. Here's another one that you can just pull right out and and do a lot of good with just one verse. Again, it's in the context with the whole chat or the whole book. But in this one verse, Paul says, So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to who? All men. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. Again, this this one tiny little verse that you could probably spend a lot of time in. What is my identity, and vocation, and career when I look at this verse? My identity again is I'm looking. I'm and that that's active looking here. While we have opportunity, it's not just something's popped up. He's he's actually saying you're looking for this the opportunity to do good. You have your eyes open, so that when that opportunity is is in front of you, you can take it. You're looking for that, and that's exactly what God does. He's looking for those opportunities to work with us. He's looking for opportunities to get into our lives. He's asking us to do the same thing, and he's saying, do good to everybody. Do good to all men. that's That's the mirror imaging of Christ. That's the mirror imaging of God. That's the mirror imaging of his spirit, doing good to all men, especially to those of the household of faith, but to everybody. Compassion in action. That's Jesus Christ in the Gospels. Compassion moving him to action. And that's what he's calling for us to do here as well. That's that's the identity of a new person. A new identity is, is I'm reflecting Jesus Christ. I am reflecting his image. Our vocation is, is completely partnering with him in that journey wherever it takes us. And it probably takes us all on different paths. He wants us all to do different things and we're all blessed with different opportunities in our life. But he's saying... Your vocation, you're working with me. Wherever you go, you're working with me, and I'm working with you. And then that career indicates to me that it is a life journey. It's not just a part-time job. It's a life journey. It's a forever job. Like people have forever houses nowadays. This is a forever job. What do people see you as where you work, for those of you who still work? Do people see you as a as a person that mirrors the image of God? Do people see Christ in you? It's our job, it's your job, it's my job to reflect the image of Christ. He's asked us from the very beginning to cultivate and to keep his garden, to work with him, to partner with him. I was thinking of Marshall when I was sitting in the back and I was was looking at the last part of my lesson again. when 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 you think about people who mirror the image of God at work, I can't remember the name of the gentleman who, who comes every once in a while. You, one of you guys probably know him. He worked with Marshall. David. 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 Okay. Yeah. Every time he, he talks to me, he always reminds me about Marshall and the stuff he did at work and all this stuff. That, that was a guy who really mirrored Christ's image at work and shamelessly mirrored Christ's image at work. Sometimes I wonder, do I look like that to people out in the world? Would they look at me and say, yeah, he's, that's, that's something different about that man. Something different about him. I'm supposed to be that light in the shining darkness, right? I'm, not, I'm supposed to be a city set on a hill. Jesus said, you're not always going to have me with you. Pretty soon, you're going to be the light. You're going to be the ones out there carrying the message. I've entrusted to my message to jars of clay out here. You're partnering with me, and you're showing God, or you're showing the world, God. You're showing him Too many times, I think I look more like Hosea. Go over to Hosea chapter 13. You could say even countries kind of look like this. We get fat and happy as countries get lazy. But then it's really down to the image, or to the individual here. Not just a nation, but the individual has, has lost sight of what's important. I could easily lose sight of what's important. I could easily lose sight of my identity, my vocation, my career. God says, you've lost it here. Verse 4 through verse 8. He says, yet I have been the Lord your God since the land of Egypt. And you were not known to any God except me. For there is no Savior besides me. And notice, notice how that verse is the opposite of verse 8 when you get down to verse 8. I cared for you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. It's the opposite of verse 7 when we get there. As they had pasture, they became satisfied and being satisfied, their heart became proud. Therefore, they forgot me. So I'll be like a lion to them. Like a leopard, I will lie and wait by the wayside. I will encounter them like a bear robbed of her cubs, and I will tear open their chests. There I will also devour them like a lioness, as a wild beast would tear them. Again, opposite of verse 4 and 5 there, he's saying that the crux of that verse there is right there in 6. As they had pasture, they became satisfied. And what happens? You become satisfied, your heart becomes proud, and you forget who brought you there. We can forget who gave us our identity. We can say we want our own identity. I can say I create my own identity. Man's done that through, throughout the centuries, and we still continue to do it today. But a mirrored outlook on life, a new life, a new outlook on life looks like Jesus Christ. It mirrors the heart of God. It strives for the heart of God. It fails, but it strives. It's just like David. He strives, he fails gloriously sometimes, but he's still called a man after God's own heart because of the relationship that he had with him, because of his constant devotion to him, his relationship that brought him close, even when he made huge mistakes, and that relationship that kept bringing him back, even when he did. You and I have an identity in God. We are to look like Him. He's asked us to look like Him. He's created us to look like Him. We have a vocation. He's saying, I want you to work with me. And we have a career. Here's your time limit for the job. It's until you're dead. Then you can come home. That's where faith, hope, all of that's realized. And we get to just live in the love of God. Ask yourself that this week. And maybe take another look at 1 Peter chapter 2. And see your purpose, see how to fulfill that purpose, and then see the example that you leave when you do. Because that's a good lesson too. Maybe I should have gone there more for this morning, but I wanted to to use that as the groundwork to, to bring us back to the fact that God has been calling for the same thing from the very beginning, to look like him, to accept his son, to be after his heart, because he's been after ours since the beginning of time. Do that this week. Look like Christ this week to the people that you work with, to the people that you, that you live with. Do that this week as we stand and as we sing.